0: 2 Corinthians chapter 11 again. We're going to be covering some of the same verses we covered last week and some more here. And I'm preaching on patterns of thinking here this morning with respect to this section. Uh, Paul here continues his boasting. He talks about that a lot here. My boasting literally is bragging on his own ministry. Uh, He didn't want to do that, but he felt that he was forced to do that because that's the technique that his opponents were taking. And it seemed to work among the Corinthians. They loved to hear the boasting and bragging of uh, those uh, who were uh, were purporting to be apostles of Jesus Christ and were uh, uh, against the Apostle Paul. And... The issue here is they're trying to remove Paul from the church. They want to get him completely out of the picture. And they're doing everything in their power to do to to do that, criticizing him even while he's away. And Paul is not about to let them succeed in that in that. And it it was it for Paul's personal uh Image His self-image, I mean, he felt like, you know, hey, you guys, uh, I started this church and I'm going to keep it because it'll make me look bad. No, I don't think that's Paul's attitude at all. Paul is a servant of Christ. It was the Lord who brought him to Corinth. And it was the Lord who in, in, assured and encouraged him in that ministry there. And he was representing Jesus Christ. He's not, he's not there on his own behalf or for his own behalf, but he's there representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he believes that as a representative of Jesus Christ, it's his duty to defend the truth to these Corinthian believers. He is confident, very confident, that these believers are true believers he has watched what god's spirit has done in their lives and now they are being tested and there it's it is it, it, it's a little rocky satan is a deceiver he loves to destroy Kill and destroy. He does not want Christ's true church there. He wants His own kingdom. So He's going to do everything He can. And as we read in this, that even as Paul, for the very first time, really points these guys out and says, these are false Christ's, I mean, false apostles. They... They are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as the apostles of Christ. And that's that's Satan's tactic. He even disguises himself as as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that his servants do. So here's the issue. Paul said, I'm fighting for you. Because I don't love you? No, it's because I do love you. I'm fighting for you, and so he's. As I said, he's confident in that their faith, uh, in their faith, and that caused him to uh, press on to recapture their reasoning and to redirect their thoughts into the truth. The danger here was that the Corinthians were vacillating from their devotion to Christ. And that's why he he said in uh, last week's message, I'm jealous. I I have a godly jealousy. I'm a divine jealousy for you. He had had been like the best friend of the bride and had arranged this marriage uh, as a representative of the Father. Like Abraham sent his servant there to to uh, arrange for a bride for Isaac. Paul said that's that was what I did. And now I see you're vacillating. And I and I'm jealous. Jealousy which is an anger that one feels for uh, because of the betrayal by someone who uh, who in whom he has invested himself. A man who has set his love on a young woman and then discovers that she's been unfaithful to him. He feels jealousy, anger, and resentment that that she has betrayed him in that way. And that's the way Paul feels about the church here. I, I betrothed you to Christ as a chaste virgin. A pure virgin. A pure virgin. To Jesus Christ. And so these false teachers then following Satan's design. Were now seeking to turn Christ's bride away from the Lord. Will they be successful? No. Not if they are genuine believers. But here's what happens. He takes us through the fire. To to reveal the truth in us. None of us like suffering. Nobody likes to suffer. Sometimes we suffer family problems. Sometimes we suffer friend, rejection of friends. Sometimes we suffer hardships of other various way, sources, various kinds. Why does God take us through these hardships? You know, you read back in the Old Testament there, if you follow the Lord, He's going to send the rain on your crops and you're going to flourish and you're going to have all kinds of prosperity and your kids are going to grow up and they're going to be strong and wise and loving. And whoa, Lord, I want that kind of life. But uh, that's not how it works out in, in this gospel age. God's still there. He's still faithful. He still loves us. He still still shows us His kindness and His mercy in so many various ways. But He also takes us through the fire for our benefit. And that's what we see here. And the problem here is our patterns of thinking. Are our patterns of thinking right? If our patterns of thinking are right, then our... Then the trials we go through and the suffering that we go through will will uh evidence itself in a right way and that's paul's concern he is now he wants to change their patterns of thinking as Eve was deceived, they hope that they that uh, that uh through uh, their thinking that, uh, they could lead, that uh, the church would be led astray from that sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And the evidence was clear to Paul. When pressed with serious errors, they were willing to put up with it. He, that's, a, that's a hard rebuke. He said, when they come here with their, with their errors, you're, you're ready to put up with them. You can't do that. And here again we, we see this, this tendency, which is a human tendency, that when error presents itself to us, we want to be tolerant and we want to give people a little room. Don't be too harsh on them. And that's what they were doing here with these false teachers. Said you put up with them readily enough. But don't you see that that's dangerous and detrimental? And again, he says in verse number 19 there, you gladly bear with fools. You gladly bear with fools. He said, I'm 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 gonna present myself here as a fool, because you you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourself. <laughs> Boy, what a rebuke. You guys think you're so smart? You don't realize how dumb you really are, and I'm I'm kind of the I'm kind of your last line of defense. So you understand why I'm acting the way I'm acting. See, patterns of thinking and feeling can be very def, detrimental to one's spiritual progress, as Paul noted earlier in the letter. He said, "We we have spoken to you this back chapter." Back in chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. He says, we have spoken to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. We're not not holding you up. But you're restricted in your own emotions, your own affections, your own patterns of thinking. And in return, he says, I speak to children. (laughs) Here again, rebuking them. You guys are not so mature as you think you are. I'm speaking to children. Grow up. Widen your heart also. Uh, If we could transliterate that into uh, our modern English, it would be grow up. Get smart. These patterns had opened the Corinthians to being deceived by these false teachers. So there in chapter 11, verse 3, he says, but I'm afraid... That as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts, your thoughts, your thinking, your patterns of thinking will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This ought to be the bottom line aim for all true servants of Christ to lead the people of God to a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What do I want for you? What do I want for me? A pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And yet uh, we there are so many voices out there, so many sparkly things, so many temptations, so many opportunities to divert our attention away from that. And that 's what we have to be very, very careful about, thus, here Paul then became the object of those who really wanted to follow Satan in his concerted efforts, and they don't they didn 't see it as Satan because Satan is an angel of light, remember, but uh, they want Satan wants to distract the people of God from this sincere and pure devotion, so the false teachers in order then to gain authority in the church, set about to destroy Paul's influence. That's the the object here. So, Paul's defense. And again, I I repeat, was Paul seeking to defend himself just for his personal uh, pride in the matter? No. No. Because... He saw himself as, as a servant of Christ and the line of defense that needed to be drawn and maintained. And he's not about to let them kick him out and destroy him. So I want, I, I want to, it, this, this morning here, to point out three things here that uh, Paul uses in his defense that he reveals about their, their tactics and his defense. The first of these is these false teachers apparently associated themselves and their mission with the original apostles, the original twelve. I believe these were Judaizers who came from Jerusalem. And we've already seen the problems that they created there uh, when you go to the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. Where they they were even critical of Peter because he uh, ate with a Gentile in the house of Cornelius. So Paul uses here again uh, some sarcasm, I think, some sarcasm. He calls he refers to them as super apostles, and I want you to remember, Paul himself regarded himself as the least, the last. In the least, he never saw the, the resurrected Christ during that period of resurrection. It was only after Christ had ascended to, to heaven that uh, Paul saw him as he appeared to him there on the road to Damascus. Considering himself as one born out of due season. I'm going to tell you, these false prophets then turned around, or false uh, apostles turned around there, and they used that against him. You can't be a real apostle. You didn't witness the, the resurrected Jesus when the rest of the uh, true apostles, they're the best, they're the super apostles, see? did So, and and it's interesting too that, uh, that Paul uses that same... Sarcasm there in the book of Galatians when he's dealing with the same Judaizers that are coming down to, to make a mess out of, out of this Gentile church as well. So you read there in Galatians chapter two verse nine. Says when James and Cephas and John, see there's the three who did Jesus take it kind of into his inner circle? James and Peter and John. And so uh, these guys have got—they're singled out as the super apostles. I mean, they're even better than the rest of the twelve. See, in the thinking, they're the false thinking of these false false prophets. So he says, when when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, see that's how they're regarded. Paul's not—he's not disparaging them in the least way. Because I, I, I really believe that the apostle Paul, when he took his mission to uh, up into Spain, uh, asked Peter to watch over the churches of Galatia uh, of uh, excuse me of uh, Asia Minor. So we have First and Second Peter in our in our Bible because of it. You no, know, Paul had a great deal of respect for these men but he's using he's 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 looking at it kind of the way the false apostles are looking at it these Judaizers from Jerusalem so when when these super apostles these these big guys came down from uh, Jerusalem to Galatia he says who seem to be pillars that in the eyes of the super of these other apostles perceived that the grace that was given to me, uh, was great, the grace was given to me, see, because they they probably were somewhat critical. Who is this Paul? And what's he doing among these Gentiles? Because the church is, is transforming from the Jewish church of Jerusalem now into a Gentile church. And that's creating some issues with the Jews. Who saw in the Old Testament Scriptures how God favored the, 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 the children of Israel above everybody else. So now this presents some somewhat of a problem to them. The Gentiles are taken over. So they sent these three guys down there to look at the work in Galatia and when they got down there and they saw what God was doing and that the grace of God was truly on the Apostle Paul, they says they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This is not a problem. It's after this that they have the Council of Jerusalem there in, the, in Acts chapter 15. So indeed, here Paul Asserted that he was an apostle of similar rank. So he says there in verse number uh, chapter twelve, verse number eleven. He said, "I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing." And I think what he means there is in in your opinion and in their opinion. I, I'm nothing. So that's why he says there in verse uh, chapter 10 verse number 7, look, what is before your eyes. And there in verse 12 of chapter 12, he says, "The signs of a true apostle were a- performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works." If I am not a true apostle of God, how did I accomplish this? Look what's before your eyes. Paul said, I'm not behind them. I'm not behind them in any way, shape, or form. Although I seem to be in your eyes. So secondly then, not only, not only was the Apostle Paul uh, concerned that they were falsely associating themselves with, with the original Apostles and that they were disregarding Paul completely. We, we identify with Peter, James, and John, but Paul, uh-uh. He's nothing. The second thing here is that these false Apostles then appealed to the Corinthians' desire for superior in rhetorical excellence. This was one thing about the, the, uh, the city of Corinth. They were noted for their schools of rhetoric. If you wanted to be a, a, a politician to really wow people with your oratory, come to Corinth and learn from the best. The Greeks, the sophists. And wow, their speakers could just blow you away. Whoa. So the Corinthian people were used to having people get up and, and give these wonderful flowery orations. These marvelous speeches. And the these false apostles were pointing to Paul and says, look what you got. The guy's a little fella. He's a little short guy. I think that's he was really short of stature, and <clears throat> he was not schooled in rhetoric, and he probably had a, a, a some have regarded a, peach, a speech impediment and maybe stuttered a little bit. We we don't know for certain, but he seems to uh, uh, kind of have a stammering speech. See, so very likely Paul's appearance. And his presentation, his stammering speech then were used as evidence that he could not really identify himself as an apostle. And their argument was this. Yeah, his letters are weighty and powerful. That's chapter 10, verse 10. His letters are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech, that is, his rhetoric, is of no account I mean, he's, He doesn't impress you when He's speaking to you. And Paul acknowledged this. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. He said, I deliberately didn't do it. I wasn't going to try to mimic The orators of Corinth. The speech or wisdom. It's interesting here. The the terminology here uh, directly applicable to the Corinthians was lofty, lofty speech. Lofty speech. Lofty meaning excellent or superior. And the word speech, logos, is, is what is spoken. The content of the speaking. Is defined in in this verse by the the, the last phrase, or wisdom. And w- generally, we think of wisdom in the sense of uh, of smart, being smart and wise, and how you do things, and and do, knowing the best way to do things. that's wisdom. But in this case, wisdom doesn't uh, doesn't mean exactly that. What it means is. Somebody who is wise is somebody who can present themselves and can speak in this lofty speech. He says, or wisdom. See that it's an equating here. So <clears throat> to the Greeks, wisdom was not so much what is contained in the message, but how that message was presented. Paul explained. That he came to them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and his speech and his message were not in plausible words of wisdom, that is, eloquent presentation, but rather in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. He said, Don't look at what I'm saying and how I'm saying it as much as you are. In what is produced by it. The Spirit of God is empowering me. And He's using my preaching to convert and change the lives of the hearers. In order that, your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Boy, don't, don't we see that today? We've got all these guys who want to get out there and impress people with their, their ability to speak and make sure it's not too long. Keep it to 20 minutes. 15 is even better. If you can give a real eloquent presentation in 15, 10 to 15 minutes, you'll have a church full. We don't need that. We need the power of the Spirit of God. So was this, de- this determination not to be eloquent a choice or a fault in the Apostle Paul? I believe it was more of a choice. He determined not to do it. Could Paul have used some flowery language and been... Uh, use some rhetorical excellence in his free- speaking? I bet he could. But he chose not to. And I think this is why Apollos was, uh, made such an impression on the church because he's described in Acts as an eloquent man competent in the Scriptures. I bet when he came and preached to the folks there in Corinth, they said, Woo, wow, we like this guy. Man, uh, we like his messages. Paul, not so much. Their Corinthian people, as I pointed out, were known for their their schools of rhetoric. So then Paul admitted, even if I am unskilled, this is in in verse 6, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. What I'm, what I tell you, what I preach to you, is the Word of God. It's empowered by the Spirit of God. It's the truth. Indeed, in every way, He says we have made this plain to you in all things. And again, Paul desired that his words, his Logos, what he said, and the preaching, the Kerygma, how he said it, what he said and how he said it was not to be judged by wisdom, that is, the eloquence of the presentation, or delivery, which was so valued by the Corinthians, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power so that their faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Oh, how we need that. Oh, in this age of powerless preaching, the remedy is not going to be attained by the preacher going to school to learn how to preach better or more eloquently but how much time he spends on his knees begging God for the power in the preaching. Not in humanistic efforts to woo the hearer with excellence and entertainment, but a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God. That's what I want. That's what I long for. Now thirdly, the third way that the false apostles appealed into the Corinthians was in their method of supporting themselves. And this is an interesting thing. The Judaizers used Paul's financial policy as proof that he uh, was not a true apostle. If he were he would readily accept financial support from the church, as they did. Interestingly, this principle was a biblical principle. <laughs> they, could the, they could point to the example that Jesus gave. For this, uh, this is the pattern of support followed by the first missionaries established by when Jesus Christ sent out His disciples. There in Luke chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, we read, And He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. And do not have two tunics. Don't even take a change of clothes. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Then in chapter 10, verses 4-7, to we read, Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet... Uh, no one on the road. And the, I think the idea there is don't beg anything from travelers that you meet. Whatever house you enter in, enter, say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace is there, your peace will rest upon Him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the house eating and drinking what they provide for the labor deserves His wages. There is a book called the Didache, which was produced early in the early church. It's it's also referred to as The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. Kind of a rule book, if you please, for the early church. And that Didache stated, The teaching of the twelve apostles, uh, excuse me, every apostle, (laughs) every, every apostle coming to you let him be welcomed as the Lord. He will not stay more than one day, and if necessary, another. But if he stays three days, he's a false prophet. When going out, the apostle is to receive nothing except bread until his lodging is located. And if he asks for money, he is a false prophet. Isn't that interesting? That was was what? You you go out and you are supported by those to whom you go to minister. And so this pattern then was followed by these false apostles because they got it from the Scriptures. Paul, on the other hand, refused to be supported by the church. And it was in a sharp rebuke, from his first hard letter, the apostle said, and this is 1 Corinthians 4, verses 8-13, Already you, uh, you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles last of all like men sent, uh, sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world to angels and to men we are fools for Christ's sake but you are wise in Christ we are weak but you are strong you are held in honor but we in disrepute to the to the present hour we hunger and thirst We are poorly dressed, buffeted, and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Plate scrapings, if you please. And again, 1 Corinthians 9, 3-7. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? I guess Cephas had a wife. Peter had a wife. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who attends a flock without getting some of the milk? And Paul appealed to the law as, as a right to support, to expect support and com- and compensation from the church. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law Say the same, for it is written in the law of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four, verse four: "You shall not muzzle the an ox when it treads out the grain." Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does He not certainly speak for your sake or our sake? It is written, as it is written, for our sake. It is writ. It was. Excuse me. It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop if we have sown spiritual things among you is it too much that we reap material things from you if others share this rightful claim on you do not we even more so Paul is saying yeah we had every right to expect that you should support us but we refused why Here in Corinth, he did not follow this guideline. And that brings up the question, why? And why would his refusal provoke such criticism? He asked him, did I commit a sin in humbling myself because I preached the gospel to you free of charge? That's verse 7. What is ironic is that Paul looked to the churches of Macedonia to supply his need in his work at Corinth. He said, "When we had a need, they they showed up with gifts and took care of us." And is and here's the curious thing: the churches of Macedonia were in also a great trial of affliction. He speaks about them back in chapter nine, that or chapter eight, excuse me, where. Where when he was trying to raise this the the love offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem, who were the eager ones? It was the churches of Macedonia, who also were in a great trial of effect And Paul said, Oh no, guys, look, you don't have to. You you're already suffering enough. And they said, Oh no, Paul, don't let us miss out on the blessing. And it was they who are now helping Paul here in Corinth as well. So when he says, When I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Verse 9. No, So Paul saw then that asserting his right to biblical support would be a problem. And this is evidenced in the statement there in chapter 2. We are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. What he's saying there is... uh, the reason I didn't ask for you for anything is because I didn't want anybody to co- point the finger to me and said, yeah, you just came as a peddler of God's Word. Which I think is what he is suggesting that these false apostles were. Interestingly, I must have gotten on somebody's list. In the last couple of days, I've got about 13 messages on my phone there through Facebook and our church website can you help me i i need i'd like to work under your ministry etc etc i said 13 I, I, yeah how can i help you send us some money <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry we don't uh we don't do that We are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of Christ, so speak we in Christ. It was the Judaizers who were the peddlers of God's Word and for personal profit. And Paul's sarcasm continues as he asserted, Yes, I have been a robber. I robbed other churches so that I would not have to rob you. (laughs) Rather, he says... It was, it was actually the Judaizers robbing them. And then Paul argued that it, that it was his love for them that drove his refusal to be supported. As the truth is in Christ, this boasting of mine will not be silent in the regions of Achaia. That's where Corinth was located, in Achaia. That's what he means. And why? Because I do not love you. Oh well, God knows I do. So Paul then identifies the real culprits, and I'm going to close it up here. What am in verses 12 to 15? Notice this. And what am I doing? I will. What I am doing, I will continue to do in order to determine. Excuse me. To undermine the claim of those who would like to claim. That their boasted mission that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. their end, will correspond to their deeds. And there's, see, there's the key. What is the end? When it's all said and done, what is the ultimate result? Compare my ministry and their ministry. Where will it finish? because the end will be according to their deed. So Paul here adamantly refused to agree with his critics either that he sinned against the Lord's will by preaching the gospel free of charge or that he refused the Corinthian support due to lack of love. He was not ignorant of the biblical principle of support a past or a pastoral desire not to burden the church with financial welfare, rather he vowed to continue this practice and to make it part of his bragging. why we're going to see where it all ends and for the first time, Paul turned on his critics and openly charged them as false apostles. And He doesn't spare. He does not spare. They're servants of Satan. And they have characteristically promoted falsehoods by masquerading as the bearers of light, as Satan has done, of the true knowledge. If these people do not desist, their end will show what, actions, what their actions deserved. That's the point. So did they think they could force Paul out? We're going to get into this next week, but I, I, I wanted to, to to push this last point here. Paul in uh, this there's a this passage down here beginning with uh, verse twenty four. Let me just let me read it quickly. Five times he said, "I received at the hands of the Jews." The forty lashes, less one. How many times? Five. Who could who could survive that? Five times at the hands of the Jews, forty lashes. Well, it's actually thirty-nine, but who's counting? Three times he, I was beaten with rods. That's Romans. That's a Roman. Once I was stoned. We we can read that there in in the book of Acts. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, the Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am indignant? Now why did Paul say that? Did he just want sympathy? Did he want them to feel sorry for him? That's how we might interpret it. But let me close by saying, no, it was principle. And he is showing here the genuineness of his apostleship on this principle. He that endures to the end shall be saved. You want me out of here? You've got to fight on your hands. I will not cave. I'm not surrendering. I'm not quitting. Because this is the bottom line. It's their end that will prove whether they're real or not. Paul went through awful things. How did he do it? Because of the admonition of Scripture, run with patience the race that is set before you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross and is set down at the right hand of God. If Jesus... Could endure the cross for me, Paul says, then I can endure whatever Satan throws at me to discourage me on the trail. I will not quit. I will not quit. Father, thank you for this truth. We're, we're living in some difficult times and it's so easy for us to think what's the use? Lord, this is the point. I will not quit. I will endure. I will see it through. Till Jesus comes and takes me home. That's what Paul said. And that's, Lord, what we should want as well. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Thank you, Lord, for what you do. We wait on you. We trust in you. We keep our eyes fixed on you who endured the cross for our sake. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.